0: Hi, I'm Debbie Flowers at Barna HR Resourcing. Over the course of the last few weeks, we've been recording a series of Barna Talks. This week, I had the pleasure of catching up with Guy Yule, HR Director at Superdry, who we introduced to the business back in 2015. Guy's a charismatic, engaging character, and it's always fun to catch up with him. It was great to get an insight on what he and the team at Superdry have pushed ahead with this year, going to the backdrop of a tough year in retail, understand more about what's coming next, and define what he truly meant by Naked HR. Welcome, Guy. Thanks, Aya. So we started working with you back, I think, in 2015 when we introduced you to Superdry, and you were promoted to Group HR Director, your current role in in 2018, I think. 2020, pretty pretty tough year, followed quickly. And I think a really interesting year for you because not only lots going on at work, but you also became a father for the first time. How's it been for you? Tell us Tell us how you've maintained some balance with all that happening in your life
1: firstly thanks for having me on it's nice nice to have a, have a chat with you the last kind of 11 months have been absolutely crazy I think it's fair to say but a, a lot of people will talk about their years being pretty chaotic and I think having a, a baby girl on the 17th of May this year sort of just added a bit of chaos I suppose in, into the mix
0: right right in the middle really wasn't it we yeah
1: for a lockdown baby but I think there's sort of two definitions of either you have a baby during lockdown or you get pregnant during lockdown. So we we had her. And I think we've been quite lucky and and fortunate to a certain extent, which is, you know, we wouldn't have been going out a lot. You know, we wouldn't have been meeting huge huge amounts of people in that first lockdown. So actually having a daughter then, you know, was a really, really good time for me. You know, we closed our offices, so I was working at home all the time. And I think over the last six to seven months, it's been a real benefit and afforded me to spend a huge amount of time with her. On one hand, I feel extremely privileged to have been able to see her grow up and, and be more of a part of her life in the first six months than I, than I otherwise would have done. It's certainly been some sleepless nights, not just because of crying, but also making arrangements to to do the right things by our colleague in the business. And we have been materially impacted by COVID, and I think in first lockdown, we furloughed 88% of our, our staff so it's about three and a half thousand people across 16 countries were in different states of furlough it, it's been crazy both for personal factors and, and and work as well
0: yeah really really hard and and retail has been fighting a tough year in in general you know those who have invested in continue to invest in both both the store and their digital activity have have reaped some rewards and I was reading the other day that that dries. Online sales have performed well this year against the impact that you've had on the high street. You know you've experienced a lot of change in the last twelve months. Also, you know you've had your your new board in place at the helm. T- tell us a bit more about your strategy at Superdry, if you can.
1: Yeah, sure. Covid, um, there's been some ups and downs on the business. I think I join the group of people that say it's massively accelerated the shift of importance in our business to technology and <laughs> digital and. We've seen our digital um, and e-commerce sales perform really strongly over the summer months. Actually, a lot of customers you know, did engage with us through those channels. You know, we, we know what we need to do as a business to put Superdry back in in terms of the pinnacle of, of where it should be in, in global fashion apparel. But, and it's just sped up the relentlessness and the necessity to, to go there, I suppose. And looking forward, it falls into sort of three categories style style back at the heart of the business. To us, this means over the last few years, I think we've lost our way a little bit with really driving a creative business that prioritizes design and style. Going forward, we want to bring that back and make sure that we're really investing in our design teams and really investing in our brand marketing teams to reach a younger consumer base, but do it through very targeted um, approach. So no- knowing who we want to engage with. The second one is around digital and i think most if not every business will have it on their radar which is making sure that we've got the right technology to be able to provide a really good experience for people shopping on our digital channels but equally a seamless experience whether you shop in a super dry store a franchise store a concession or online and making sure that it feels like exactly the same brand and then the last one I think is something we'll see grow and grow and grow, which is a focus on sustainability. So, so key to, to our industry. And there's a lot of negative publicity in this space if you get it wrong. So I think it's the right thing to do. And it also has a, a commercial angle as well. But this is around making sure that we have every single option is sustainable by 2020. So we've got 100% of our range of organic. It's equally looking at the changes to all the changes that are in the environment on our diversity which I think is a question that you're going to ask me in a bit but yeah. making sure that we build a business which has the right foundations in order to give back to the environment and wider society rather than simply being a commercial engine so style digital and sustainability are the three things that we have, have our eyes sort of firmly
0: set on. And this year, you know, we've had lots of clients, you know, all different shapes and sizes working through huge change. And and they've been focusing on on shifting with social and and business restrictions, as we've been advised to. And and HR leaders have been fluctuating their workforces, becoming much more agile. Furlough has been a huge challenge, both taking people into furlough and and bringing them back. And most people have had their eye on, on their well-being strategies and making sure that you know, that's been a priority to ensure that that colleagues are supported. So there has been some good, I think, that will come out of of this year. And certainly, you know, we've worked with some organisations that in the past have been perhaps a little bit reluctant to offer a more Flexible working environment, and they now recognize that actually they can function pretty well with colleagues working remotely, so they will come back very differently so I think force of good hopefully will will also come out of this year. What have you guys learnt, i guess from from what's happened this year at super dry and if it has you know how has it changed the organization or the culture
1: i mean what w- what a question has <laughs> been so much to yeah. so probably to give you a, a couple of examples and they probably relate to me as an individual as HR director for Superdry and also the business as well and one of the first things I've, I've learned and reflected on I suppose is, is not to rush when the pandemic first hit back in sort of March of 2020 I think lots of organizations rushed into decisions such as you know closing their supply chains down you know furloughing everyone there was certainly a necessity for speed what helped us in a lot of ways was just taking that extra day, you know, or even a few hours to pause and reflect and then decide. And I think it helped us make decisions that were in the best interests of our colleagues and, and shareholders um, without rushing down one path and suddenly have to change direction. And, you know, we, we have restructured business, but we, you know, took our time to do it, did it properly and made sure it was in keeping with where we wanted to go with the broader strategy rather mm-hmm. than still doing it to cut cost cut money at all expense I think so probably that that's one of the biggest things that I've reflected on is even in a pandemic with very very quick decisions needed you know be careful take your time and, and look at and see what others are doing the second one follows on from that which is the importance of comms and talking to your team you can never ever do enough of that the second thing I think I've learned to, or, or has been you know more pronounced is the, the importance of Talking to I think the, the business, it sounds a bit obvious. I don't think you can overdo it. And some of the ways that we've I think managed it well over the last eleven months is we, we've implemented a new employee voice body. We have one for retail and one for head office, and they're elected by their colleagues and peers. And we've consulted with them on pretty much every topic, whether that's around safety measures, whether that's around communication, whether that's around you know how do we Continue to keep confidence and belief through the workforce. And that body and those people have done a phenomenal job for us in in representing the voice of of their peers and in helping us to decide on what's the right thing to do for our people. And I would encourage any other business to make sure that they've got the right feedback from from colleagues in their workforce to help them make decisions. Third thing, in in terms of how the organization changed, I suppose, is we have introduced flexible working principles. And they're now accessible on um, online, you know, so if you're looking for a role at Superdry, you can kind of see how we look to uh, manage you know, flexible lifestyle and, and, a, and a job at Superdry as well. And it's been really good, I think, of challenging some old fashioned opinions, you know, in the business of, you know, you need to have your bum, you know, honestly, nine to five. There's certainly a lot more appetite and acceptance of the fact that that, that world has now changed forever and for good. When we come back in 2021, it's certainly something that we're going to keep those flexible working principles and, you know, allow people more autonomies and freedom than we have done in, in the past. And I, I think that's a really cool thing. And, and I know that people genuinely want that. So, yeah, I think, think those are the three things probably that a have learned and, and b will have a, a long and sustained impact on, on us and our culture.
0: Yeah, good news. And how have you been checking in with your team?
1: We speak more regularly than probably we ever have done in the past. And I've actually started something which I think is helpful for me and hopefully for them as well. So I think there is a lot of good to be had from seeing each other face to face. And to try and help that, I've been starting some walking one to one. So we pick a a location, put our walking boots on, obviously at the moment get our coats on and then go for, for a walk for a couple of hours and just chew the fat, talk about each other. Talk about what's happening in the business and talk about what's coming up, and, and there's no agenda, but it's been really helpful for me to get a sense of how they are. I think it's always just helpful to have those really good, deep conversations, you know, in an unstructured sort of way yeah. to to just make sense and to check that you're on the same page. And I think they've really benefited from it as well. So whatever happens next year, I think that's definitely something that that I'll look to continue to do. It, it's just a nice break from sitting at my desk in my home office yet um, to have one where it's absolutely hammered it down or snowed so i might <laughs> change my opinion if we if we both get absolutely soaking wet after two hours
0: so so i think it was this time maybe last year that we we met and i seem to recall that you were talking about your rebrand of hr to to naked hr just to clarify not literally naked taking much more of a simplification approach. You know, stripping back some of that complexity and getting the basics done right and done well. And and you made some changes in in the people team and created the new head of talent role, which we introduced Ruth for, which I know we've got a, a podcast chat with for the next few weeks. And that was to combine the resourcing and the learning activities. I know your intention may be to also scope reward activities there eventually. And and you had some other thoughts in mind. And I'm guessing some of your strategic plans had to be put on hold. Temporarily this year, but is—is is there anything that you've managed to push forward with this year, and and tell us what you're excited about moving into to 2021?
1: Cool, yeah. So, so you're right. Naked HI isn't actually about being naked, <laughs> um, but I think it's catchy and it it leads people to be curious about what it does mean. But yeah, you're right. You're right in the sense that for me, it's around just stripping things back to their core, and hence na- naked came from the sort of stripping your clothes off kind of idea, really, and. I think when I walked into this role and and in previous experiences as well, there is a lot of kind of overcomplication, process-heavy HR. And I think a lot of people go in and, and, and set up processes and put in place frameworks for all of the right reasons. And then over time, they grow and grow and grow. But people forget about the core reason of why you did it in the first place. And that's what Naked HR is about, is being able to come back to What's the real reason this process or framework or activity exists? And if you can't explain it, you know, and you can't explain the value that it has in, in a business, then you potentially shouldn't be doing it at all. That's sort of the agenda I, I went in, you know, to see the HRD role at Superdry with asking my team to think about things from, from that perspective. And I think we've done a couple of really good things this year, and we've, we've managed to do them even in light of the challenges and, and the workloads caused by, by COVID. So two of the examples are over the last four years, we did kind of an annual engagement survey. At the top point I took over, I think it was up to about 65 questions. Get the answers back two months after we asked the question, maybe the next three months was sort of spent on action planning, et cetera. And then by the time you got through all of that, all the data was outdated, nothing ever happened. Ultimately, I felt that it had lost the original purpose of being able to have frequent conversations with your team so we've already started pulse surveys which i know isn't isn't a new thing but is new for super dry what this does is just looks at targeting questions which are relevant in the here and now off the back of the black life matter movement for instance we put out a pulse to our 4500 colleagues to just ask for their opinion on how do they feel you know what would they like us to do and it was incredible in helping get their opinions and help us inform our, our approach and response to, to the Black Lives Matter movement and the wider diversity agenda. And we publish every single response utterly transparently. And we do it within 24 hours of, of gaining the feedback in. So it's a very quick, very rapid conversation about topics that are, are really resonant in the here and now. And the feedback on that has been excellent from, from colleagues feeling like they can have a say about things that are important in today's world. I think it's really important for businesses to demonstrate that they want to hear the opinions of the people, you know, of everyone in the business, even at grassroots level, on really important sort of socioeconomic topics like that. And And it's right that businesses take that on board. The other thing that we've done is we've scrapped our annual and biannual review process, which is one of the things I desperately wanted to do when I came into I remember. Yeah, It had become so static. Nothing ever happened in the six-month periods between those two reviews. And then we had a huge amount of paperwork that people had to fill in. And it just totally defeated the point in having those conversations and a line manager, a leader to really get the best out of their people. So we've scrapped it and introduced a new talent framework with definitions of of what we think potential means and where the business needs to go. The mantra is around do it well and do it frequently. Don't let for problems to develop over months and months and months. But equally, if you've got someone good, you need to be helping them, supporting them. Yeah, you know, every single day that that you wake up. And the feedback again from the business has sort of been, you know, wiping a bead of sweat from their forehead. Thank God you've removed it. Like just really, really good to to strip back some of the process and just to let the the business do the right thing. And, and leaders give leaders the freedom and empowerment to do the best thing by their people. And I think your last question was around sort of what what does 2021 look like? <laughs> Another good question. I was going to ask you the same thing. <laughs> I um, don't have an answer though. I think there were some things that were paused as a consequence of the pandemic. So one of the examples is we're sitting on a very, very old piece of technology with our HR information system. It's actually eight years old. The changes that we've had to make in terms of Know, people's employment status, org restructures, reporting, it's just fallen over this year and created a huge amount of manual activity for my team and for the business. And so we have to replatform one of our core HR information system at the earliest opportunity next year with something that gives us some better reporting, better control and better adaptability to whatever might change. And coming off the back of that, we're equally implementing a digital talent system that plays to the new talent process that we've been placed. So it's all around making the role of leaders and managers in getting the best out of their people simpler and Mm -hmm. giving us better people and performance data. So next year is definitely a year of of technology for, for HR. And then the second most important thing is around culture. I look at great businesses and great brands today and they are crystal clear about who they are what they stand for and how they want to work with with colleagues. And we're putting in place something called the SuperDry Playbook, which is basically an articulation of who we are, what we expect and what you can expect from us if you're joining SuperDry. And the ambition is to put every one of our 4,500 colleagues in SuperDry, whether, you know, in any one of the sort of 18 countries where you work, on the same page and very clear around what the total... Some of Superdrive's working towards, and how you, how we want you to feel working here, and getting that into people's psyches, into processes, into our communications is is probably my big agenda for next year.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, and, and all big shift changes since you and I spoke this time last year.
1: Yeah, I think the, the playbook is something I actually started writing a long time ago, but because of the situation of every, like so many people are working remotely, like everything's a bit turbulent. I just feel that now is the time for great businesses to stand up and say, look, here's who we are and here's why we think you working here is a really good idea. And just that clarity and context, I think, is so important for people in today's world.
0: And regardless of industry, most organisations are, you know, needing to authentically address some social unrest or diversity, inclusion, equity strategies in the workplace. And and you mentioned there some of the work that you're doing you're an iconic brand, Superdry. You're a global business. You mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, you know, the number of countries that you're working in. What, I guess, meaningful actions are you taking to ensure that you are a continually diverse and inclusive employer as we as we move forward?
1: This is interesting. I think I was probably a bit naive to this because in Superdry, we just naturally assume we're good at this kind of stuff. And, and we've previously spoken to colleagues and stuff. Diversity has always been actually one of our standout strengths when you look at some of the senior levels of the business we could absolutely challenge ourselves on diversity doesn't always flow through and ultimately we want to be as diverse as our customer base and and we're not so I think we did the right things which is again we didn't rush out off the back Mm -hmm. of Black Lives Matter you know we we took our time and I think there are other businesses that kind of rushed out and said well look here's 20 things that we're doing and that's all sort of Fallen quiet and I'll be interested to understand whether they follow through on their commitment. Yeah
0: and in my view it's much bigger and broader than just that moment isn't it?
1: Yeah exactly and and I, th- I think I referred to it earlier but we took about three months I think to have some really quality conversations with all of our colleagues around the diversity and inclusion agenda. We got some really really good feedback, tough feedback but good feedback about what they thought Superdry should be doing and how we could do it better and with Ruth's help, actually, who's he, speaking to another past, put together an action plan on on nine points of how we were going to improve the flow of our diverse grassroots population into senior manager, you know, and leadership roles. And there's a couple of quite cool ones. So, we've created a, a fund specifically to target black and ethnic minority talent that we've previously struggled to reach out to in in job applications and job adverts and we're looking to create a pot of money to essentially unlock barriers to entry for those individuals gaining employment with super dry so it's not to influence who gets a job because obviously we want the best person for the job it's more to make sure that people from black and ethnic minority backgrounds feel empowered to apply for super dry and that super dry will actually give them a helping hand if they need one we're launching it this week the ethos is around you know making sure that we yeah, absolutely. Do our role to to target and speak to, you yeah, people from more diverse backgrounds than than we currently maybe can get in in the Cheltenham area. We'll, we'll see how it works out, right? And and I'm a big believer in some things like this work, some don't, and we'll take a view on it in a few months. And again, speak to our teams, speak to people who have come through this route, and to figure out if it's the right thing. But I do believe that on some things, you just got to try them and and see how it works, and it could spiral into something amazing. But equally, it might not work and it, it might convey the wrong message to people. But it is only one of our nine. And, you know, I feel pretty confident, actually, that we've put a really good plan in progress, which our team should challenge us and, and hold us accountable for. So, yeah, there, there's a hell of a lot that we could and should do to be better. And I think it's it's been a bit of a wake up moment, I think, 2020 in this space, not only for Superdrive, but for a lot of other businesses
0: yeah i think you're right it's a real call to action isn't it and you know it's good to see more meaningful conversations taking place but we need to see those translate exactly into, into action on you for a second you've had a a strong career trajectory primarily in two of the toughest industries actually in hospitality and retail your career has also included a year spent outside of HR because you did a role as head of global business development in APAC with Superdry. I'm interested in your thoughts how helpful has it been to combine that learning experience from working in different roles throughout the business and then bringing that back to your to your HR role
1: I think I would say when I joined hospitality and retail there wasn't a global pandemic on, so uh, <laughs> nearly all of the businesses were open at that point in time. So yeah, yeah. Look, I'd encourage moving around jobs, industries to absolutely everyone. It's definitely true when people say that you learn quickest outside of your comfort zone. And I've definitely had a couple of roles where I've walked in on day one and I've literally had no idea what I'm doing. We've spoken before around taking on a head of reward job in, in Premier Inn, where yeah. I had no clue what, what I was doing. And the first few months of that were incredibly stressful. And and then secondly, the, the role that you've talked about, which is I, I moved outside of HR into a wholesale role with P&L Accountability and was looking at negotiating franchise contracts and helping other owners to grow their businesses in partnership with Superdry. And on day one, I was like, What I've got so many questions and not the first clue about where I go from here. I think though that those are the situations where you learn so fast. As long as you go in with a fear of you're definitely going to mess some stuff up, but just don't mess up the big things. Ask lots of questions and check back in with people, and just be authentic. I think they make a lot of difference. And when I moved outside of HR, clearly the role was very different. Right? It was you know working to a sales number. It was around looking and evaluating business plans and commercial contracts. But at the same time, it was interesting how many similarities there were so I led a team of people and I think I'm quite good at that and getting the best out of people it was around mm-hmm. building credible relationships with other business owners and I backed myself to be able to build relationships that are built around trust and respect and I think it is around structuring the team in a way where the experts so the people that really knew what they were doing could be empowered to go and do the things that they were great at and I think there is more fluidity than sometimes leaders or businesses recognise. You've got to find the right people, and you've got to be able to to spot the people that I think can move around frequently. Coming back into HR from a, a commercial or business role was awesome, and I think everyone recommended that I did it. And I just think it gives you such great exposure to not only you know how does the wider business work, but also what's it like to be on the receiving end of HR initiatives? Because yeah. I think it's very easy to sort of sit in in HR and a people department and think, oh, I know what's right for the business. And even when you consult with people, you don't always necessarily get the, how's it going to land? Yet when you're on the receiving end of, here's a talent framework, or you know we're implementing a pay review process, you genuinely see the frustration points or the ways that the people department can really add value to to, to leaders. So. That was absolutely phenomenal. And I think without that, I'd I'd definitely be a worse HR director, in, in my opinion.
0: And I think authenticity is so important. And I think you haven't been afraid to take some new roles in your career. You know, sometimes it's just feeling the fear, isn't it? And going for it.
1: Yeah. And I think you've got to be prepared to say if it's not right for you and you're not enjoying it. I think you've got to be prepared to say that. And when I went into the wholesale role for global business development, After a year, I was lucky enough that the HR director role came up. And over the year I was doing the wholesale role, I sort of figured out that I loved what I was doing, helping a business unlock its potential through people. And I think the main bit is it helps you understand what you love. Unless you go and try your hand at new things, you never know really what you're genuinely passionate about. And, And so that's why I'd encourage it, certainly to people who are at the early stages of their careers that the more that you can do, the more that you can ask for, the more you can put yourself out there. I think it will just help you narrow and hone in on the things that you genuinely are passionate about rather than waking up when you're 50, 60 years old and and regretting that you never put your hand up or did something new.
0: Yeah. And it makes for a more rounded professional, doesn't it? I think, you know, more rounded individual, you know, you're all the better for all of those experiences.
1: Yeah. I think the best leaders that I've experienced and, and had the pleasure of working with have been people who have taken not random career moves but varied career choices and it just gives you exposure to to how the world works or how the business runs and all of that is phenomenal learning that whether you consciously are aware of it will all help to I think build you into a better leader.
0: Yeah and it's and it's being within that organization that as you say appreciates that actually there is an element of risk putting you into a, a new role and you may not know everything and you are going to make mistakes. But, you know, you'll pursue that and you'll come out the other side all the better. And has there been a, a career highlight for you to date?
1: I I, said, I mentioned to you earlier in the, the warm up for this call, probably the job I'm in. I moved back into HR because I felt HR and, and people was the thing that actually I was passionate about. But I only realised that once I'd moved out of it. It was the classic, you only know what you, you've lost when you lose it kind of thing. And even as tough as as 2020 has been. I've absolutely loved this job for a couple of reasons. I think the first one is the learning opportunity. I'm I'm still very much motivated by learning, and whether that's through feedback, making mistakes, new processes, and working alongside you know a chairman, a PLC board, a CEO, and an executive team has been a massive learning curve for me. Not only in the relationships and the dynamics, but also in the what we do. So yeah, we've gone through a PLC Remco policy consultation we have restructured the executive team we've hired a new board you know there's a whole bunch of things that I've just never ever had the exposure to before and nerve Mm wracking and as many sleepless nights as that's given me (laughs) as as well as the screaming and that's kind of one of the absolute things that, that I love I think everyone should be relentlessly learning and if you're not you've got to ask sort of why the second thing that I've loved is leading a team and, and genuinely leading a team. So with all the pressure that comes with it, everything stops with you at the end of the day and you are accountable for the well being and performance of nearly five thousand people. You know, I've loved that exposure and pressure and I've loved trying to get the best out of my team, trying to give them true ownership and true empowerment and letting us together work towards making some big impact on, on on the business for the right reasons. So I didn't think I would enjoy it as much as I have done. Yeah, I like like it. And I think it's equally challenging and equally rewarding.
0: And finally, Ruth tells me you're an avid reader. So I'm not sure how much time you've had this year, taking all that into consideration. But is there a good book suggestion? Um, The first is is a book
1: called Whatever You Think, Think the Opposite. It's not a, a leadership or a a people development book it's written by a guy called paul arden who comes from a, a deep background in consumer marketing and that book is a an absolutely phenomenal lesson in how to land messages really well in a challenging unconventional sort of way and i think a lot of the job of you know a cpo uh, how you land those messages with your consumer group who is the exec team and colleagues in the business and i think it plays a mirror of moving away from the boring communication that you know, it's historically, I think what a lot of people have written, and then the the second one is is a book called, I think it's called Radical Candor. A bit of a light bulb moment, really, for me. This one, all written by a, a senior female exec who worked in startup Californian companies, spent a long time in Apple. I think it just challenges you and and leaders to kind of double down on having those really honest conversations, doing it for all of the right reasons for the right intentions, and. It's been something that I loved it so much that we took it out to our leadership team, our top 40 leaders, and definitely something that resonated with them. And it's just a very, very simple framework for making sure that you are prioritizing authenticity, honesty, but doing it with people's best interests in mind. And a lot of leaders could read that and and learn a lot from it.
0: That brings us to a close. Thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you taking the time out. I always enjoy our chats. Um, I wish you a very happy Christmas. Thanks ever so much, Guy. I look forward to catching up with you in 2021.
1: Cool. Have a lovely Christmas and and Happy New Year as well to to you as well. Thanks for your time. Nice to talk to you.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to the Varna HR podcast today. And if you'd like to hear more from us, please follow us on LinkedIn or visit the Varna Talks page on our website at varnahrresourcing.co.uk.